Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us on the Kirk Church Podcast. I'm Aaron Elmore, lead pastor at Kirk of the Hills, located in Tulsa, Oklahoma. This is where you can hear messages from all our pastors and guest speakers. Make sure to subscribe and share with anyone who follows the Kirk. If you want to know more about us, visit us at thekirk.com, like us on Facebook, or follow us on Instagram at the Kirk Church. Let's get started with today's episode. Time. This word likely elicits some kind of reaction in you. I'm guessing for many of you, it's probably a negative reaction. Maybe you feel like you're running out of time. Maybe you feel like time is moving too fast. The time gets away from you. We have all these pithy sayings about time, time flies, time is money. It waits for no one. When we're young, time seems to move so slow. That trip to Disney World that's a month away feels like a decade. And yet as we age, time speeds up, doesn't it? Anybody? Time seems to be getting away from us. Time is the great equalizer. We all have 24 hours in a day. We don't have the same amount of time on this earth, but we all get the same amount of hours in a day. C.S. Lewis wrote, The future is something which everyone reaches at the rate of 60 minutes an hour, whatever he does, whoever he is. The great irony of my week was that I'm preparing a sermon on time and somehow I just couldn't come up with the time to finish the sermon. We're so busy. Maybe you feel busier than ever. In our culture, we wear busyness as a badge of honor. Sometimes we think we're busier than we actually are. If we really assessed our time, if we looked at the stats on our screen time, which I found out is equally true of all generations. You're either spending time in front of a television screen or in front of a computer or in front of a phone. But either way, no matter what generation you are, we spend a lot of time in front of screens. And some of that is productive. But let's be honest, it's not always. There are a lot of ways we can have an unhealthy relationship with time. That's why this is a tricky topic. We can't resolve all of the issues surrounding it in one sermon. We can waste time or we can hoard it. We can be too busy or we can be too bored. We can be overwhelmed by the present, fixated on the past, or obsessed with the future. And so what is our task today? A wise wizard once said, all we have to do is decide what to do with the time given us. Sometimes I quote Tim Keller, other times I quote Gandalf. (laughs) It's always a good start. My hope this morning is that we will leave with maybe some new or reinforced thinking about time, that we will take steps toward being intentional in the way that we invest our time. And just to be clear, this is not a self-help talk. My goal is not that you would get more done, that you would be more efficient, more organized, that you'd get more rest. There are plenty of books and blogs and podcasts on those subjects. I want us, by the power of the Spirit, to think about time from God's perspective and be challenged to invest our time in God-honoring ways. That's our goal this morning. And so we go back to the book of Ecclesiastes. It's an interesting book, isn't it? I encourage you sometime to just read it from start to finish. It's such an interesting book. 
And scholars debate the intended tone behind Ecclesiastes chapter 3. It's fascinating. This happens from time to time. As I was studying, I usually look at several different scholars, sometimes from various perspectives, and kind of bring it all together. And they're split on this passage. Was Solomon, or the teacher here, was he intending to be positive when he wrote about Ecclesiastes 3? I think we generally think of it as a positive passage as we read it in funerals. So often we think of it as a poetic discussion of time. But yet, the question remains, what is the tone? And so this morning, I want to pose the question, which of these songs captures the tone and intent of Ecclesiastes chapter 3? Two songs here. The first one may be more familiar to the builders and the boomers, the 1965 classic Turn, Turn, Turn by the Birds. No, I was not born yet, not even close. This was actually their version of an original Pete Seeger tune, Uh, The song puts off positive vibes, doesn't it? Almost the entire song is a direct quote from Scripture, from Ecclesiastes chapter 3, other than a few added lyrics. And it ends on a note of hope, adding the phrase, I swear it's not too late. Or, is the tone here, perhaps the 1994 hit Time, may be more familiar to Xers and millennials like myself, by Hootie and the Blowfish. In this song, time haunts rather than comforts. Time is a punishment. Time crushes dreams. It causes tears. It causes pain and sadness in your life. It's seen as an enemy rather than a friend. Time does not comfort us. It haunts us. It's fleeting. So which is it? Is it the positive tone? Is it the negative? And I think in a way it could be either. Because as we've already argued in the first two weeks of this series, this book presents a tension between two perspectives on life. We can either approach life from the perspective of under the sun, that is to say, without reference to God, as though there is no eternity, there is no judgment, there is no God, there is no afterlife. What we see is what we get. That is life under the sun. And if that's true, then time really is a haunting thing, isn't it? Or... The teacher argues you can simply approach life rather than under under the sun, under the heavens, so to speak, with reference to God, fearing God and keeping his commands, knowing that though this world matters, it is not all there is. And there is something beyond this. And so it is with time. As we consider the subject, we can approach it from one of these two Perspectives. If this cursed world is all there is, then time is meaningless. It's hevel, it's vapor, it's smoke. But if there is an eternal God that is redeeming the world into a perfect eternal reality, then our short lives on this earth can be rich and meaningful and echo into eternity. Solomon's purpose here is to expose the foolishness and emptiness of a life lived without God in order to push us to enjoy the God-centered life and all of God's good gifts. So this morning, our framing question is, in what ways is Ecclesiastes instructive to our view of time and our approach to time as people seeking to live Christ-centered lives, God-centered lives, God-glorifying lives? And I think we see several themes here that are supported elsewhere in Scripture. So the beginning, verse 1, we see that time on earth is seasonal. There's a time for everything. 
and a season for every activity under the heavens. The first thing the teacher points out about time is that it unfolds in seasons. This gives life a sort of rhythm and flow to it. Now, you may argue with me, depending on what season we're in, but I would argue that in Oklahoma here, generally speaking, we get to experience all four seasons. Some of them feel longer than others. Uh, Apparently, there are people whose favorite season represents all four of the seasons. I don't know who you people are that like winter or summer better than spring and fall, but you're out there. And I can appreciate that. We get different seasons, and it seems like whatever season we're in, as we get toward the end of it, we're ready for something different, aren't we? We're ready for change. You know, it's been a cold winter, and we're just ready for things to warm up a little bit. We're ready to see more life flowing. But by the end of a hot summer, we're ready for things to cool down, amen? We're ready for fall. So just like the weather, our lives also unfold in seasons, A couple of examples here from Scripture. The first one is Psalm 1, the first psalm. And it's talking about the person who seeks wisdom. And the psalmist says, That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season. There's a seasonality to the fruitfulness of our lives. I'm going to say a lot of things this morning, but for some of you, that's the simple truth that you need to hear. You maybe feel like you're in a season where you're not seeing a lot of fruit in your life. I just want to encourage you. When trees don't have leaves on them and they're not bearing fruit, that doesn't mean they're not alive. And that doesn't mean that something is not happening. So I just want to encourage you. Remember, life unfolds in seasons. There's seasons of greater fruitfulness or at least the fruit that we get to see. In fact, sometimes our lives are bearing fruit that we will never see. And I hope in heaven we just get to celebrate that. Just one thing after another, where God just reveals to us in some mysterious way, hey, remember that thing that happened? You you didn't think anything came from that? Hey, let me introduce you to this person, right? I feel like there's going to be all kinds of connections in heaven, like people we've never known, maybe even people's lives that we've impacted that will come generations after us if the Lord doesn't return first. I mean, it's just going to be crazy. Our lives unfold in seasons. There are seasons of fruitfulness, seasons of waiting. And then his letter to the Galatians, Paul wrote, Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. If we do not give up. Don't give up being faithful to the Lord, seeking his plan, loving our neighbors, just keep going. I remember that was one of the most encouraging cards when we had our first daughter. We were in the thick of those early baby days and and some of our best friends sent us a card and they were quoting Winston Churchill, I think. You know, lots of people have said this. It's a pretty generic quote, but it just said, keep going in big, bold letters. That was what we needed to hear. Just keep going. Going for in due season, fruit will come. And so more than just a relief from getting discouraged, I think seasons are part of God's design for our world and ultimately point us to God and his grand purposes. They point us to a God of order, a God of provision, and also a God of redemption. In the middle of wintertime, when we look out and everything seems to be dead, We know that spring is coming. 
that things will bloom again. And so even the changing of the seasons points us to the reality of an eternal God who has a plan, a God who is redeeming, a God who is bringing life out of seeming death. And so the changing of seasons in that way, time, it points us to God and his story of redemption. And so as we think about time today and how to redeem it and make the most of our time, it's helpful to understand that you are in a season right now. And there may be overlapping layers of seasons for you because life is complicated, but you're in a season. We're always in some kind of season and God asks us to steward that season. And sometimes we get in trouble Oh, always we get in trouble when we try to compare ourselves to other people. And one of the reasons that we get in trouble with that is that we may be comparing our life to somebody else who's in a different season from us. You know what I'm talking about? And we envy some, whatever it is, we think, oh man, that must be great to be in that stage or that phase of life or to have that going on. You're in a particular season right now. And as you think about time, God calls us to be present in this moment and to steward the season that we're in. And those seasons are very different. I have two young children at home. That's a season. People say, did you get a lot of rest on sabbatical? Well, yeah, in a way, but I'm a father of two young children. So rest is a relative term, right? I had to come to embrace that fact, right? God has given me this season. It's a sabbatical. It's a sabbatical with two young children. Right? You're in a season right now. Maybe it's a season where you're in a new job. Maybe it's a season where you're dealing with a recent change in your health. Maybe you've just experienced a broken relationship or divorce. Maybe you're nearing, seemingly from a human perspective, maybe you are nearing the end of your life. I know we have friends even watching online our sermons every week that know that They may be with Jesus soon. It's a very different season from from a college student who's looking forward at their life and anticipate. But we're all in a season right now. And as we think about time, it's, it's healthy, it's good for us to recognize and to steward the season that we're in right now and ask for God's grace for that season and not look to somebody else around us and wish or anticipate But to say, God, help me to be faithful in this season because our lives unfold in seasons. This side of heaven. And yet we balance that truth with this reality that time in heaven is eternal. That's a different thing. A very different thing. Verse 11, it says, He has made everything beautiful in its time. He's also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. It says, he has made everything beautiful in its time. This word could also be translated appropriate. It means that God has made everything good and right. Everything fits in its own time and space. And yet we cannot know or seem to understand God's big picture plan. We cannot fully grasp his intentions, no matter how much we try. This is an important theme in the book of Ecclesiastes, but also in the wisdom literature of the Bible, this idea that we as human beings will always be limited in our knowledge and our understanding. In fact, the whole book of Ecclesiastes, we get some resolution, but, but really, as you read the book, you begin to see the idea is life is an enigma. It's confusing. It's frustrating. And we're not going to get all the answers 
that we hope for. That calls us to trust in a God who knows it all, who understands it all. In fact, we were not created to get it all and to understand it all. If you've heard me say this before, if you can figure out your God and you feel like you've understood God, your God is too small. Yes, we want to seek to know him as best we can. We're not making excuses. But at the end of the day, God is so much bigger than we can ever begin to grasp or understand. But that's a beautiful thing. That's the way it was created. We were created to be dependent creatures. Ecclesiastes goes on. It talks about the purpose of God's good gifts. The teacher encourages us to enjoy the good things in life. Enjoy his gifts but to hold them loosely. We have to consistently do a heart check to make sure that we're worshiping the giver and not the gifts, that we're worshiping the creator and not the creation. And this requires cultivating an eternal perspective. I think it also requires what I would call a kingdom theology. See, we're asked to live in this Tension between our present lives and yet knowing that there is a future greater reality. And, and, and we can, we can go one way or the other. We can be so present and we become overwhelmed with our current circumstances and we can forget that we are a people of hope and that this world is not all there is. But yet we can also be so focused on the future that we sort of check out. This can happen to Christians. One day we're going to be with Jesus and so everything else in my life just sort of, it just, you can kind of lose hopelessness. No, we were created to live in the moment, but yet with eternity in our hearts. That's the challenge. Right? Jesus said the kingdom is now and it's not yet. We have to understand there's a continuity between this world and that it matters deeply and our lives on this earth can matter for the glory of God. But we must never forget that there is also something greater which we strive for and we long for. We have to live in the tension of that space. We want to be present. That's hard. But we also want to have hope deeply worked into our soul so that it wells up, especially in those difficult times. Perhaps one of the clearest statements on God's eternal nature and his relationship to time is the opening words of the Bible. In our English Bible, it's the four words. You know them. In the beginning, what? God. There's a lot there. In the beginning, God. What does that tell us? That tells us from the beginning that God is eternal. That before there was anything... Anything that we know or see or understand before anything, there was God. That means God existed before time, which means God is eternal, which puts him in a whole other category from us. God is eternal, and yet he created us to live into this eternal reality. The Christian story presumes a sovereign God who is outside of time and the boundaries of time who existed before time as we know it. He was there in the beginning. He has always been. And because God is eternal and we are finite, we shouldn't be surprised that God views time differently than we do. We've already sang it this morning, but I'll put this scripture up from Psalm 90, verse 4. A thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by or like a watch in the night. That's God's perspective on time. In God's economy, time, a thousand, in God's economy of time, a thousand years are like a day. 
That's to say just a drop in the bucket. Just a blip on the radar. And it makes sense. If you have all the time in the world, you're not in a hurry. Your perspective on time is different. And therefore, God is patient. God doesn't always operate on our timetable. Actually, I should say he never operates on our timetable. We feel trapped inside of time, but God is not. He doesn't feel the limitation. He doesn't feel the stress of time. Right? I began this morning just thinking about what does the word time elicit in you? Often negative thoughts. Because we don't like waiting. We're not good at patience. You all have heard me argue on a number of occasions, as the topic comes up a lot, that I think waiting is one of the most common themes in the entire Bible. We don't like that, but it's true. Because God is outside of time. God is not in a hurry. Waiting is good for us, but it requires an eternal perspective. But for right now, that's hard for us. Because for God, he thinks of a thousand years as like a day. And yet we have days that feel like a thousand years, don't we? (laughs) Some days are like that. But God is eternal and he has an eternal perspective. Time also reminds us of God's sovereignty, of his power, of his control. Verse 14, it says, I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it, nothing taken from it. God does this so that people will fear him. The poem beautifully weaves together 14 pairings, right? We have time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to embrace, a time to refrain. And these 14 pairings represent a device in Hebrew poetry that's known as a merism. And a merism basically takes two extremes, and the point of it is to list two things to say everything in between, right? So we have the heavens and the earth. That means everything, right? From the highest point to the depths of the sea, that means all of creation. And so the point of the poem here is to paint a picture of the complete reality of life on earth. He's saying that God is sovereign over Every single aspect of these things. He is in control. He is aware. He knows. He is, he is bringing all things together in his plan, including the end of our lives. And it references death in this as well. And again, death is part of God's plan for life on a sinful earth. It's part of God's judgment, but it's also part of his grace. It's good that we're not stuck in this pattern that we live in currently. Death is part of the reset for us. And so as we think about time, I want to give you a couple of practical things to do. One of them is I want to encourage you toward a psalm. It's already formed the foundation of one of our hymns this morning, Psalm 90. I can't think of time without thinking of Psalm 90. It's a beautiful psalm. So I want to encourage you this week is to take some time, make some time, right? We don't find time. Make time, set aside time to sit down with your Bible, Psalm 90. And I want to encourage you to pray through Psalm 90 because it changes your perspective on time. And that's what we need. We need to reset on how we think about time. It really influences the way that we live our lives. And there's, there's three prayers 
uh, that are instructive for us found in Psalm 90. The first one is, teach us to number our days. It's good for us to be aware that our days are numbered, that we should live with intention, knowing that our lives on this earth are finite. They're limited. Teach us, God, to number our our days, that we might live for you, that we might be faithful in the little things, that we might walk with you every day. God, teach us. The second instruction is satisfy us with joy and gladness. Though we live in a world that is torn apart by sin, that is very limited in time, we can have rich and satisfying lives if we find our ultimate satisfaction in God. Satisfy us. Give us a contentment in the midst of the ticking time clock of life. And the third thing is, is the prayer for, to, for God to establish us. Establish our work. Allow us to do good work that matters rather than just waste our lives that we can do good work by God's grace and for his glory. And so our challenge is to maintain an eternal perspective while also seeking to make the most of our short lives here on this earth, to live in that tension, to live with a kingdom mentality that this world truly matters, that God is integrally involved in our lives. And yet we always live and work in the present with our future in mind. That is how we can steward this gift. So I want to challenge you also to respond this morning as it is Connect Sunday. And we're looking at ways that we can connect with other people. We can invest our lives in relationships because that's ultimately what it all boils down to. And I want to set the stage for that challenge with words from a wise woman that it just feels appropriate to quote her this morning. I've already quoted Gandalf, so we might as well go there. Queen Elizabeth, in her address to her nation in 2002 at uh, Christmas time, she had this annual tradition of addressing the people. And she said these words, Our modern world places such heavy demands on our time and attention that the need to remember our responsibilities to others is greater than ever. I think these are wise words because we're living in a time when life is very complex And we know a lot, probably more than we should. And there's so much information coming at us and we can get overwhelmed. And I think when we get overwhelmed, often this may not be your MO, but it certainly can be mine, is that we turn inward when we feel overwhelmed and stressed. And we think, I don't have time for other people's problems. I got enough of my own. But God did not create us to turn inward. He created us to turn upward and to turn outward. And so regardless of how you're feeling today about all that's going on in the world or even your life specifically, I want to encourage you to resist that urge to overly turn inward. Yes, there is time where you've got to get away from it all and find time alone in silence. Jesus did that. I'm not discouraging that at all. But I think that the challenge is we can turn too inward, that we're missing out on the hope and healing that comes from connecting with other people. And so you'll see how this all fits together because the idea of of our responsibility to others is baked into the very DNA of our church. You'll recall this last year we went through a process of refining our mission statement. 
and that we are a Christ-centered community for you, for Tulsa, and for the world. That means we're others-focused people. Because God is for us, we are for others. And then we unpack that into our strategies that we're a grace-filled place for all kinds of people to experience four things. The first one is communion with God, right? We do that individually, but we do that together like we're doing this morning. The second one is community with others. The third one is a calling to serve. And the fourth is a commission to go. And so this morning for Connect Sunday, largely we're focused on the middle two there, community and calling. And right now there are folks that are getting ready out in the lobby to receive you, to talk to you, to tell you stories, to energize you about what God is currently doing in our church and invite you to come and connect with that. And the cool part about this is is that while some of those opportunities are more community building focused and others are more serving and calling focused, the two work together because you join a serving team and you find community. Or you invest in a community of people and you find that it's more fun to serve together with those people. And the strategies work together and we don't have to think of them as four separate strategies, but they really all fit together and build upon one another. And so this morning, I'm challenging you, church, it's time to connect. It's time to connect. Our lives were disrupted. Many of you have experienced a season where you changed your priorities. There was a disruption. I'm just, I'm wildly guessing that there was one of those major points was like March of 2020. It's just a random guess. But your life has been disrupted, not just by COVID, but, but lots of other things. So here's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to prayerfully discern where you will invest your time in the coming days. For some of you, it's an old commitment that you had that you've kind of, you've lost the habit. And it's just time to to return to that and rebuild that habit. For others of you, it's time to try something different. It's just a season to try a, a different community group. Or maybe as you look at the ways you've invested your time, maybe you say, well, I realize that I'm doing three Bible studies, but I really haven't been serving. And so maybe you need to reallocate your time. Those are both worthwhile things. Or or maybe you've been serving in a certain way, but maybe there's a new opportunity. Because it's not always about our personal preferences and strengths. Sometimes God calls us into a a new season to serve in a way that we've never thought about before, but there's an opportunity that arises as the community changes, as the needs of Tulsa change, as the needs within this church change. So I just want to encourage you at the end of of the service to just go. Let's create a buzz in the lobby. I want it to be so loud out there we can't even start the second service on time. I just want you to go. Take some time, talk to some people, maybe just shake somebody's hand, thank them for serving, ask them to just share with you what God's doing in their life or in their ministry, whether you plan to sign up for anything or not, go out there and let's talk, let's fellowship, let's connect with people. And for many of you, I think today is a day I want to encourage you to just find something you're interested in and put your name down. You're not committing yet. You're just saying, I'd like more information about this. I'm intrigued by this. I'm interested. I'd love it. I'm just throwing a number out there. I'd love it if we had at least 50 people this morning between first and second service that signed their name down. We could do more than that, but I'd, I'd just love to see people say, yes, I'm interested in learning more. It's a new season. 
new season in our world, new season in, in life, and I'm interested in learning more. And it's all different kinds of opportunities. Bible studies, women's ministry, men's ministry, service opportunities, and our tech team, and our music ministry, you name it. There's all different kinds of things. It's time to connect. I want to encourage you to reach out, to prayerfully consider, put your name down as an, as a, as an act of faith, and just explore with curiosity how God might use you in the coming days to step into the calling that he's placed on you. How will you invest your time? That's really what our strategy is. It's just a framework for how we invest our time in four things that are really important. And we've just come off a series on calling, conveniently enough, the way God orchestrated it. And at the end of that series, every Sunday morning, we've been praying, God, here am I, send me. So where is God sending you? To connect to grow and to be used by him, to bear good fruit for his kingdom. Let's connect this morning for our good and for God's glory demonstrated in our lives. Will you join me as we pray together? Father, I thank you that you are a God of relationship and connection and that you love us so much that you paid the ultimate price by giving your son so that the relationship the connection between you and your people could be restored and could be reestablished. And so, Father, now as as we think about time, this most precious resource we have, I trust, God, now that you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, you're working in hearts. You're leading, you're guiding, and you're going to guide your people, and you're going to provide your people to do all the work that you have called us to do here in this time, in this moment in history. So God, may we be faithful to pray and to trust and to have the courage to step out and to be used by you. God, I pray that there would be relationships that are sparked and that begin this morning on Connect Sunday that would prove fruitful for years to come. God, give us an openness, give us a discernment so that we can know your people, we can do life together, and that we can serve your great purposes. We love you, and we give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.